How's it going, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. If you're not subscribed yet, make sure you do that. It's the best way that you can support it. It's the fastest way to find out about new episodes, unless you're following on social media at Real Curious Jones. But you should do both. Let your friends know. We talk about all kinds of stuff. And uh, I really appreciate hearing from you. Let me know who else you'd like to maybe hear on the podcast. And you never know. They might be a guest sometime. This episode is brought to you by Lit Distribution. Lit Distribution is a master distributor for Zippo Manufacturing, working primarily with lifestyle brands, cannabis brands, alternative brands. Think about the brands that you really have never seen on a Zippo lighter. Uh, and crossing that with the nostalgia of a made in American product that everybody knows that works fantastic. I carry a Zippo and uh, you really can't uh, mistake that classic Zippo sound. So um, functional, reliable Zippo lighters and lit distribution is helping connect brands with Zippo doing a lot of great collaborations, including one with Greg Overton, who has been a guest on this podcast. So litdistro.co, you can get some really great stuff. You would uh, you can use code curious and you'll get a discount on any lighters, inserts, accessories. And I know there's a lot more really cool stuff coming. My guest today on the podcast is a former guest. He is a uh, former Navy special operator. He was a demolitions ex and explosives expert in the Navy. And since he has retired from the military, or I guess he's no longer active duty, he has taken on a whole host of other really cool hobbies. And um, he's actually the person that got me really interested in cold plunge. When I had him on the podcast the first time, he was talking about a company he had co-founded with some friends that was trying to take really nice cold tubs uh, to the consumer market. Think of things like the Blue Cube, Morasco is another one that's really popular. These guys were really early and actually maybe a little too early. And they shifted their focus into breath work. But uh, I always stayed following Cold Plunge because of the conversations. And as it became more and more popular, uh, Josh has been somebody that I've reached out to to ask some questions. And so it was really nice to have him back on the podcast now that I've gotten myself uh, a lot more into that world. He's taken on some crazy stuff. He just recently ran a hundred mile race. Um, and we talk about that, the recovery, some of the challenges that he had after his wild shit. Um, and he's done a recent plant medicine retreat. And we even talked about, you know, some potential eight foot, 10 foot aliens running around uh, in the South Florida area where he lives. So really cool episode. We touch a lot of things, even some jujitsu conversation for those of you guys that tune in for jujitsu. But very cool episode. Really appreciated having him on. Give it up for my guest, Josh Dunce. A, it's hard, right? I like you got to have something hard every day. It needs to be a daily routine and you need to do it. And for me to get up first thing in the morning, I got one of these little, it's called a pod bean um, or no, it's not. It's called a, uh, what is it called? I don't know. It's, it's just, it's, it's basically like Kevlar double layer, but it's inflatable on the ring and okay. it was like 200 bucks. It was super cheap. 
And being here in the Northeast, I mean, I went out there the other day and it was 32 degrees. It's just like, I take yeah, off. The you don't, you don't need right ice. <laughs> There's nothing needed in summer. I mean, when it's warm out, I was dumping like a 10 pound bag in every morning just to get it down. Cause it was sitting at like 50 degrees. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's just so simple and easy. And every time somebody tells me about it, they're like, Oh, well, I heard it here. I'm like, I talked to a guy that I, when I talked to him, it was like end of 2020 and he had already started a company and it came from his time when he was in the military and was actually doing this. I was like, so like, dude, there's people that have been doing this stuff for a really long time. Yeah. But, and well, I mean, you look at like uh, some of the people in like the Nordic countries and stuff yeah. like this is just part of their culture, you know, and then there's a lot of research um, from the Roman times of them having these bathhouses where they would actually had they had like three different temperature pools, right? They would start off in, um, uh, I believe, it, I forget if they would start warm and go cold or if they it was the other way around. But, you know, three different temperatures and they would kind of sit in each one and they had, you know, they, they were on top of like the sports performance thing. You know, this was uh, thousands of years ago. So it was pretty cool. Yeah. No, it's, man, recovery is so, especially as I get older. I mean, I just turned 37 a couple of days ago and it's, it's definitely been evident to me. Like there was, there was a fall off as far as my ability to stay up until two and get up at six to just carry energy. I have to be really smart with my training. I definitely started getting injured a little bit more and uh, I'd be curious. I mean, hundred mile runs, a, that takes a humongous toll on the body. I mean, I, I can't imagine, but the training to get there, right. I, I equate it to like a, a mixed martial arts event, right? Like, you're putting in more miles, you're putting in way more time on the mat, preparing for what's ultimately just, you know, a short time frame. Mm -hmm. How do you stay healthy to build up to a hundred miles? Like what is the regular protocol from recovery to be able to do something like that? Because it's not just coming home and like having your wife rub your feet, right? <laughs> like there's, there's, there's a lot of time and focus that has to go into making sure that you can perform on that. And I would imagine a lot of people show up and can't, can't finish because of a number of different variables and a lot probably that go back to how they take care of their body leading up to the competition. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's like, it's the ultra endurance races and stuff like that have, I think over the past five years become kind of this like novelty. I think uh, Goggins had a huge play in that. He kind of really is the one that made those events, I think popular. And now you have like Cam Haynes and um, some other folks that have just been so popular through talking on Rogan's podcast and stuff where there's a lot of people, I think, that show up to those events that probably have a good feeling that they're not going to finish, but they kind of want to say they showed up or, you know, so, I mean, I think the race that I did a third, so 33%, if not more of the field didn't finish the race. Wow. Um, and then you have like a pretty significant difference between there was 150 people that were signed up for the hundred mile race. There's a, a huge drop off between like the top 25 finishers and the rest of the field as far as time domains too. Um, so I think that has a huge factor on how much it impacts your body, you know, from a strain perspective, like if you're going, you know, sub 24 hours compared to people that are finishing in 36 hours, that's a huge difference as far as your mile, mile pace average, you know? Mm -hmm. um, 
so but yeah like you know uh sleep was sleep has always been the number one thing for me like i can tell just a huge difference between me getting eight hours of sleep versus like six six and a half hours of sleep uh, as far as performance and what i'm capable to do the next day it's interesting you say that i was reading an interesting study i cannot remember i if i find it i'll send it to you but it was um talked about the the impact of static stretching um as well as dynamic stretching before a workout after a workout like they looked at all these scenarios like people who static stretch beforehand what's their rate of injury people who dynamic stretch beforehand what's their rate and they measured a bunch of other things and they found that there was really no difference people who static stretch people who are dynamic people who didn't stretch the determining factor of injury was sleep how how much sleep they had yeah. and you know that to me i'm i've always been the person that like takes pride in burning the candle at both ends and when i read that i was like wow like, yeah i'm like obnoxious about it like you talk to my fiance and she's she's a night like she likes to stay up late and i'm like i've been like this my entire life like i've just always like to go to bed earlier and wake up earlier you know so it's like most nights you know nine o'clock like i'm ready like i could be if i was by myself i'm in bed like 8 30 9 o'clock for sure you know with her it's like i try to we try to spend time together especially if it's like a late night where i'm doing a jujitsu class i'm not getting home till 8 39 so it's like mm -hmm. i still have to eat dinner and you know so i'll get to bed a little later but yeah for me that's the number one kind of thing that i have to commit to especially in large training blocks when i'm doing a lot of volume and stuff and i mean during that whole training i, I trained for 16 weeks i did like a you know like a training block, like scheduled out for 16 weeks and prep for the race. But during that whole time, I was, uh, I was doing four running sessions a week, at least three strength and conditioning, like weightlifting sessions. And then also, you know, most weeks, three, uh, five jujitsu sessions too. Really? So I was, it was a lot of volume other than just running, uh, 50 plus miles a week, you know? So, yeah. uh, you know, it's, and I'm really lucky, like the, the training facility I have down here is like a one-stop. It's probably one of the world renowned, like training facilities called Barwis performance center. Um, so, you know, a lot of top, uh, MMA guys are training out of here at Killcliffe fight club is attached to it. So, oh, it's okay. Like, so you have, you work with Corey Peacock, Corey Peacock. Is well, he at I guess, Killcliffe? so he's at Killcliffe. Yeah. So he does, okay. he does all the strength and conditioning for Henry hoofed. So, okay, yeah. So Henry um, hoofed is like the, the main MMA yeah. coach there. Yeah. So my jujitsu gym is Gilbert Burns out of Killcliffe. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I know then, a lot of the guys. I was partnered with Anthony Johnson, Rumble Johnson, before, okay. before he passed away. Yeah. Um, and that was where he fought out of. So I got kind of through him acquainted with a number of the guys that fought out of that gym and had a chance to talk. Corey is uh he's a professor. Um, I believe he's a professor. He's a he does a doctor of some sort at a school in that area. And then okay. he does his I guess the practice kind of overlaps into Killcliffe, yeah, uh, which is really neat, but very cool. Yeah. So Mike Barwis is, uh, he's kind of like, he's the owner of, uh, that place and also a world renowned strength and conditioning coach. So it's cool. It's like, they have, you know, this top notch, uh, weightlifting gym there. And then you have Killcliffe fight club, which is attached yeah. to it. So 
world renowned facility. So I'm like super lucky and grateful to have that available to me, but they have, you know, a dedicated recovery center there with hot cut, hot tub, cold tub, sauna, red light therapy, Nordic boots, the, you know, the nine. Yeah. So I have access to that. So I spent, that's where I spent, you know, most of my recovery time was there. Um, and then I had, you know, I worked out with, um, Mike Barwis's nephew was my trainer who I had been working with for the past couple of years out of there. And then, uh, Ari, who's our kind of like the head, uh, jujitsu coach out of there as well too. So it's, it's an awesome place to be. I'm, I'm super lucky. It's a couple of miles down the street from my house here. So uh-huh. it's, it's, it's like the one thing that's keeping me here is like, I can't leave the gym. Like we keep talking about moving, uh, you know, moving to other places. And it's like, ah, I don't want to leave Barwis and my, my fiance works out there now too. So yeah. we're, we're kind of stuck. <laughs> but you know what? That's, I would say that's a commendable place to get to in life because I've moved around a lot and in a, in a good way, right? Like I was always my wife and I'm so thankful. She was always so supportive. It's like, Hey, better opportunity. Let's move to Indianapolis. Hey, let's move to Pittsburgh. Let's move back to Philadelphia. And because my focus was like trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I I was talking to her about this the other day. It was like, until we had kids, and I'm sure that's true for a lot of people, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And I probably had a lot of anxiety because of it. And I was always saying yes and burning myself out because I I was like, well, maybe if I go and do this new thing with these people, I will find the thing that I actually really want. And I don't think I knew that at the time, but I, looking back, I, I think that was a big part of why I just would take on every hobby, lean into it and just do it a lot. And then once you kind of start to realize what it is, it was kind of like what I was saying at the beginning of this, your focus narrows and anything that doesn't like directly align to accomplishing what it is that you want, I don't really have time for it anymore. And jujitsu for me now, like I, I'm with you, man, like that's changed my life. And so both physically, mentally, it's given me community of people who are actually a lot, like I have people, they're like, oh, you're in that cult with a bunch of jujitsu people. I'm like, there's more diversity in that gym of, you know, hundreds of people, Democrats, Republicans, you know, cops, criminals, you name it, man, it's it's the full gamut. But at the end of the day, there's a commonality that they all respect each other because they show up. Mm -hmm. And especially the people that have been there six months, a year, you just, it's like, I don't care what you do. I don't even, a lot of times I ask, and I think it's something I need to start doing more because I would bet you there's podcast episodes that I would be blown away with by just like people who I roll with and don't even know their stories. So that, that type of stuff, your, those communities that, you know, you know, this, I'm sure I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but that should be what's important in keeping people places not oh well there's that better restaurant and that new house <laughs> that they're building over here it's like <clears throat> that used to be what i would chase and, and try to go after and now it's like man i'll give up the better house or something because to your point i don't want to have to drive further or find a new group of like people because i don't right. know that i could do it yeah yeah it was huge for me man especially like coming down here after leaving the military that was you know, I, I didn't realize how hard that was going to be. I, I knew the transition was going to be hard just because it's like, you know, that's all I had known as an adult from after high school was that decade of, you know, military service. And I'd never done a different job, really. Um, so, 
you know, it's one thing talking about like a career change, but then just like losing those friends, you know, that I literally spent the last 10 years with almost 24 hours a day. And then just one day it kind of all disappears and coming down here just as, you know, a more mature adult too, right. A lot, you know, quote unquote wiser. I just, I, I had gone through a lot of things in my life at that point. And so I think when you do that, it becomes much harder to find friends and to find communities that have similar values and want to, you know, want to grow and hustle and grind and do hard shit and work out and, and all that stuff. Intimidating to people. Yeah. Most people don't want to do it. And, you know, everyone's on their own path. Um, So I didn't have, it took me a long time to like find any meaningful friends or communities down here. And the biggest thing for me, I think was like finding that jujitsu gym. And uh, it came at like a really crazy time in my life. You know, I was kind of, I had just come back from um, my second like uh, plant medicine retreat that I had done with some veterans and stuff. So I was kind of in this like integration phase of, you know, trying to put to make sense everything that kind of went down, went down, uh, down there and everything that I had kind of downloaded from those experiences and like being at the jujitsu gym and, you know, finding a community again. And like you said, it's just like, that's only one piece of it. Then you have the actual act of jujitsu and the learning and, uh, the physicality of it. And, you know, the ego dissolution for me, and just like, there was just so many, things that I think Brazilian jiu-jitsu can teach people that are so relevant to all other aspects of your life. Like I was addicted immediately, you know, I was like Mm -hmm. the first six months I was in there every day, two classes, like, you know, whatever I could do, it was jiu-jitsu came first. And um, yeah, it's just, it's been a huge part, I think of my growth as an individual, you know, is that, that coming into my life at a really important time too. Yeah. My, my son, my oldest son is four and a half and, uh, we started him a little earlier than typically. I think it's like five, the classes are like five and six year old class and then it goes up, but he would come and watch me. And I was like, man, he's, he's been able to sit through two classes and he sits and watches. He's not, there's a lot of other kids there running around their siblings might be doing a class somewhere and he just sits and watches and then we'd be in the car and he would ask me questions. So I'm like, do you guys care that like, if he's, and they're like, no, if he's good, like try it. And, uh, he just got a second stripe on his little youth belt after his month of being there. And he hasn't missed a class. He goes three days a week. And, uh, one time we had a conversation where I picked him up from school. I'm like, Hey, we're going to go to class. He's like, I don't really feel like doing jujitsu. And I was like, okay, like, uh, any reason why? And he was like, oh, I just, I, I want to do something different. I was like, okay. He said, you do know, like, we got to always remember, you got to do things you don't want to do sometimes. And that's what jujitsu is about. It's not just about winning. It's about doing something that's hard when you don't want to do it, but I'll let it be your decision. And so we just kept driving and like a minute or two later, he's like, Hey dad, I think I want to do jujitsu class. I'm like, <laughs> okay, sure. It's like, I want to make it his, his choice, but dude, he, he gets there and he just, he loves it. And it's obviously I'm like, trying to monitor myself like don't push him but as long as he keeps going towards it to me it's the athletic aspect the competition the achievement the accomplishment but just the life skills the mm-hmm. that i wish i would have been exposed to as a kid did a lot of team sports but nothing that would have challenged me and prepared me for things that i didn't know that i would have needed yeah so. for sure yeah i think the 
the same way for me. Like I, I, you know, kind of hit myself for not getting into it earlier in life. And I did, we did a little bit when I was in the military, you know, we had like a combatives program and stuff. And a lot of guys trained outside, you know, of the military yeah. stuff on their own. Um, but I, I, it was not, not every, anything I did, I was more into, you know, I did a lot of like CrossFit and Olympic lifting when I was in the military and stuff, but I think the individual aspect of it too, you know, and I think that's what has driven me so into ultra running too, is like, there is no team behind to hide behind, right. When shit gets rough, it's like, you're out there by your own out, you know, by yourself. And a lot of times, um, there's no one there to watch you. So that like plays an extra mind games with you, I think, because, you know, at any time it's like, yeah, you could slow down or start walking and like, no one's even going to know, you know? So it's like, uh, it brings an extra level of mental um, challenge to it, which is like what drew me to it originally after getting out of the military was like, all right, I just got to find some new hard shit to do, you know? And it's like, I'd never been a strong runner my entire career in the military. I hated running. Really? Um, Is that what drew you to want to do this was like, it's going to be a challenge and I want to get past something that I didn't like doing. I think part of it was for sure. Yeah. I was like, when I, I think part of why I hated running so much was it was something that I had to do, you know, it was like, it was forced upon me. And I think that's just like my rebellious part. You know, I've been like that my whole life where it's like, I've I've always wanted to be on my own path and do things my way. Sometimes that, you know, is not the best uh, way to look at life, unfortunately. Um, So I think that was a part of it too. But, you know, I just, I just started running when I got out of the military, you know, just fun, nothing crazy, you know, five miles, some 10 mile runs and stuff. And then um, it it was actually David Goggins' first book that I read a few years ago when he started talking a lot about his early days of ultra marathon and hearing Cam Haynes' story. And just like, I think just that sport became a lot more popular and talked about. And I was like, okay, there's like something here. And I didn't even, you know, I'd never heard of 50 mile or 100 mile races. I was like, that's fucking crazy, you know? there's no way I could ever do that. You know, it was like a marathon seemed so far-fetched to me at that point. Um, and then last year I was like, all right, I'm going to fucking, you know, I started, I did a 50 K, um, and kind of completely blew up, like had a horrible race, uh, had no idea what I was doing from like a training perspective. And that really like pissed me off and kind of lit a fire. I was like, I, you know, I was like, I have to, there's no no way I'm like done doing this and how I accomplished it. So like, let's learn from this and move on. Uh And what's next. And I did a 50 mile race, um, like four months later and kind of for, I think like 24 weeks or something like that, whatever the training block was just like, was solely focused on running 50 miles. Like that was, I blocked Mm -hmm. out everything else. Um, and I went out and like crushed the 50 mile race. I, I think I got sixth overall and like fourth and, um, fourth males. There was a couple like really high level females that were there. And I was, you know, so that I finished that and I was like, okay, that was awesome. I, now I can kind of see what I'm capable of if I like, you know, yeah. really dedicate myself. And so the goal this year was, all right, let's do the hundred. Um, and that's, what, that's what I did. <laughs> what type of course were you running on that hundred? It was uh, flat. So it was here in Florida. Um, it was a straight uh, one-way race from Jacksonville Beach to Ponce Inlet. So it was down 
um, A1A, like on the beach the whole way. It was a really uh, beautiful run. But oh, you just awesome. con concrete, so it's like pretty brutal on the the knees and the joints and stuff compared to like, you know, a trail race obviously is a different beast with like elevation gain and and yeah. So I was curious like if that. like if you dealt with that or I had Zach Bitter on after yeah. I had I think it was after I had you on mm -hmm. and we were talking and he was telling me the I think when he broke the record he ran it on a track track yeah and he's I'm like dude like are you kidding me i yeah. i think the worst part about that wouldn't be running the 100 miles in the pace that you did it it would be doing it on a track i would lose my mind i know he's a psycho I, he's a i follow his training programs i've like i i love his stuff and he's a you know a unique type of ultra athlete where he's not doing what like some of the big biggest names in the sports are like the trail runners right now, you know, like Courtney DeWalter and yes. you know some other really high level athletes, but he's more of like pushing the pace of like, what is, what are we capable of doing from a time standpoint at those distances, which is I think a whole different beast. I mean, he's run a hundred miles on treadmills before, like, which I can't like three miles on a treadmill to me, even now is like just <laughs> mind numbing. So like for someone to run, you know, 11, 12 hours on a treadmill looking at, I've seen a setup just looking at a, a fucking blank white wall. Uh, I'm like, dude, that is a whole different ball game that people don't understand. Yeah. What, I mean, what are the thoughts you're running a hundred miles? I mean, is there a roller coaster of thoughts or are you at a place where it's pretty, pretty level? I mean, I'm sure there's a suck, right. But, or is it like, do you get to points where you're telling yourself like, oh, I'm done, I'm done. And you're like, no, you're not. No, you're not. Like, do you really have to fight it hard or is it a different mental I, game for you? I think like what you said, it kind of depends on what you put into the training okay. um, prep, right? Like for me, I definitely like had some really rough training sessions, like on some of the longer runs, especially down here. Like a lot of my training was in the Florida summer, so it's very hot and humid, which is, you know, again, a different beast. Um, but I try to go to like dark places in the training runs because I knew, especially doubling the distance, like I had only done 50 miles prior to this was my longest run. So now looking and saying like, okay, I'm going to go and do that twice. That was like, I had to get over that mind hurdle, you know, because like you finished the 50 mile race. And I was like, man, I put everything I had into this to imagine doing that again, that same distance was, you know, a little, uh, is the second little... 50 harder than the first 50 and like, is the last 10 or is like mile 60 to 70, any different than mile 70 to 80? Do you feel a progressive or is it just kind of level out? At yeah. Some I had like a very, um, strict kind of game plan strategy going into the hundred miles. So how I kind of did it was, um, I knew there was going to be quite a bit of walking like in it. It's just like for most people, that's just, you know, the case when you come across a hundred miles. So I had made some errors. I thought in the 50 mile race where I went out quite a bit hot and then ended up like in the kind of the mile, probably 25 to 40, like doing a lot of walking. Cause I was just so tired at that point. And then you got like kind of a surge of energy that last 10 miles and we're able mm -hmm. to kind of hit it pretty hard. Um, I didn't want to do that in the hundred just because again, you're doubling the distance. It's like the, the last 30 miles are kind of a huge variable for even some of the top athletes. You never really know what's going to happen. 
a lot of people have a lot of nutrition and hydration issues the last 25 miles. Mm -hmm. And I know I have a really sensitive gut. So that was like something I was trying to prepare for too. Um, so I did, I did 12 minutes of running. So I would run for 12 minutes and then I'd walk for three minutes. And I tried, I stuck to that for basically the first 75 miles, um, kind of stuck to that strategy and it worked out really well at mile 75. I kind of hit like a wall where I wasn't able to take in any fluids or any fuel anymore. So my, my stomach kind of just shut down. Mm. And so that affected me quite a bit. Um, so the last 25 miles were, were pretty rough, brutal. um, a pretty brutal, a lot of like walking, a lot of like me just trying to like run as much as I could. Um, but yes, for, for me, it was like really that first 75 miles were, you know, not easy, obviously, but like from an emotional mindset standpoint, kind of like even keel, you know, I was trying to, I think that the, the best strategy in a long race like that is to not have those ups and downs as much as you can and kind of just stay, you know, when you feel good, like I told my, the, my crew, I was like, Hey, if I come in and I'm like super positive saying, this is easy, like bring me back down, you know, like remind me how much longer the race is and stuff. Cause you don't, you know, I don't feel like you want to burn that extra energy when you're all hyped up and stuff. And then kind of the opposite, if I come in like super down, you know, try to bring me back up to where I'm like even keeled again, but having those huge emotional flux fluctuations, I think just kind of hurt you in the long run for the most part. Mm -hmm. What was the, what type of time is this? Is it like 24 hours, 28 hour Roughly. I was uh 20 22 hours 22 and hours minutes yeah the the top guy I think the first place was like 15 hours or something That's like insane. that which is just yeah incredible I remember the first time I heard about Courtney Dowalter I'm pretty sure it was on a, a Rogan podcast when he was talking about Cam Haynes talking to Cam Haynes about her and they mentioned how she, it, it may have been the Moab yeah. that she was running and she finished eight hours ahead of the the second place person it was I think like it was even more than that yeah was it i think it was more i thought it was like i could be wrong but i thought it was like almost 24 hours or something <laughs> you may like you that. actually might be right it was something yeah. so ridiculous that i think that's the two four right isn't the moab 240, 240 yeah yeah which just i mean my god <laughs> you know yeah. but gosh how does that translate on the mats? Like, are you an absolute beast on the mats because of your cardio and your ability to go to those dark places? Because I've gotten to this spot now with jujitsu. I, I still get thrashed. My skill level, I mean, there's there's a lot of people who have a lot more skill than me, but that doesn't intimidate me as much as gassing out, right? Like yeah. when I'm rolling with a really good purple belt who's kind of bigger, stronger, and more advanced than me, I'm like, okay, it's going to suck because we're going to be in a five minute round and I'm going to, I'm afraid I'm going to gas out or we're an open mat and I'm in my, you know, fourth or fifth round, I'm going to gas out. And then it gets really scary. And yeah. the ice bath has actually helped me a lot with that, getting to a place where you can't breathe and where you feel claustrophobic and you learn how to get your breath under control. I've, I've actually taken that into that training. So for me, I'm thinking like running a hundred miles has to play a fact into both that the physical endurance, but the mental endurance that you can take into jujitsu. Yeah, I think a hundred percent for for me at least. I think it's had a huge factor on that. I mean, just the the base level of having that aerobic capacity is huge, right? Like that's the 
base building of, you know, you have to have that aerobic base to, to have good anaerobic power and, and speed. And I think that's, it's, it's weird. Cause like a lot of guys now at the gym are like starting to implement zone two training and like trying to do, you know, cardio. Cause I mean, when you're in there doing rounds, like that's all, you know, high heart rate zone four, right. Zone three, four, five, like, but mm. if you don't, if you neglect that slow, steady zone two, like your anaerobic threshold is capped, you know, at some point. So um, it's definitely, I think, played a huge factor there. And like you said, I think just my ability where, like, I know, like Saturday, I did 10 rounds, you know, we did 10 six minute rounds. And at the end of it, I was like, I felt pretty good, you know, so, yeah. and I've been out of the gym for almost a month, you know, trying to recover from the. That's impressive. Yeah. No, that's yeah. really impressive. People don't know. Like if you have not grappled <laughs> 10, six minute rounds, I mean. It's a lot. Yeah. 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 It's rough. It's a lot. It's a and, lot. And I'm at kind of the lower barrel of the, you know, my skill level too, right. I've been training, you know, for a year now. Um, so I'm still, you know, I'm there's a few of us that are like, you know, the higher level white belts. Right. Yep. I think. And so that's kind of where I am. Um, but yeah, it, it gives me the the confidence. And I think the ability to go in and have also just the awareness of energy consumption, right? Like when you first start off, you know, you're kind of like a little spazzy and not comfortable in bad positions if you're on bottom or in like, those uncomfortable chokes where it's like, you don't need to tap out, but you're going to tap out just because you don't like being in that claustrophobic position. A lot of those where, smother, smother chokes, some of the big guys. Right. Yes. People are kind of taking advantage of you a little bit. Right. Yep. <laughs> um, whereas now, you know, like you said, you can kind of, I'm able to stay comfortable and regain composure. Or if I'm in a bad position, kind of like, okay, like I'm going to accept this position. Let me regain some breath and kind of get, get some, uh, you know, control back of my breathing. And then you have the ability to go from there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's definitely played a huge factor, I think in, in my jujitsu game. That's really cool. I, I hesitate to say that I would love to get into something like that. Cause I'm, I don't like running. I, when I fought some <clears throat> mixed martial arts, I remember like the bane of it was going and running like saturdays run us five miles which isn't I mean, like five miles it's a 20th of what you put in right and i'm like i remember doing that and it took me like 45 minutes and i was just like running at a nine minute mile pace on a track i just i wanted to jump in traffic i was like i don't why am i doing this <laughs> this sucks you know um so i don't know maybe maybe ultras or something i have a guy that just went down i train with he's i think he's 52 um, so he's considerably older than me and he just did the dopey at, uh, Disney. So it's like a 5k, a 10k, uh, and then a marathon. It might be, there might be a fourth race in it. I think it's a 5k, 10k half marathon, full marathon. Okay. That's, yeah. that's what it is. So he just got back and he took, he kind of tapered off his training at the, you know, at the Academy because of obviously, you know, injury, he would come and drill and then he would take like open mat off. But um, he's got a gas tank. So yeah. I have somebody there that I know if I like show a little bit of interest, 
it'll be like, okay, well now, and then jujitsu guy will hold me accountable and right. force me to be like, you said you were going to do this. So <laughs> yeah. my wife that, might be listening to me from the other room. Like, no, don't, yeah. be, don't be getting I know another thing. That's how, yeah. My, my, my fiance has been there for all of my races, like kind of as the, the lead crew member, well by herself for the 50 K and 50 mile, she crewed me by herself. And then wow. for the hundred mile, we had a few of our friends join us, but um, the recovery after the hundred mile race was pretty brutal for, for both of us. Um, I was in the hospital twice after we got home, just really? had like, yeah, I had, uh, I wasn't, wasn't able to take in any fluids still like after the race. So I was just like getting pretty severely dehydrated and, um, her and, you know, some of the family was like, you should probably go to the hospital after this was the the morning after we got back from the race. I didn't, I didn't slept in, you know, 36 hours and just wasn't, wasn't able to really take any fluids down. So I ended up going, had like really severe rhabdo. Um, so I'm kind of glad I went, just took some IV bags and started to feel better. And then, you know, that was Sunday. So we came back, the, the race finished on Sunday night. We ended up going to the hospital Sunday afternoon at some point come back Monday and then Tuesday woke up and my, one of my legs was really swollen, like a balloon. Um, and I had like pretty severe pitting edema, which is like, you know, you like you push kinda, on it and it yeah, gets like a sponge, right? It exactly. kind of like a memory foam mattress or something. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, talking to some people from the gym, you know, they have some physical therapists and some like team doctors there they were pretty concerned that I might have a uh, compartment syndrome, which is can be very dangerous if you don't kind of take care of it immediately. Um, so Tuesday ended up back in the ER at this point, hadn't slept again for like fucking three days at that point. My poor fiance has been with me in the hospital the whole time and she hasn't slept because she was taking care of me during the race and shit. And so we get back Wednesday, um, they did a bunch of tests. Luckily I didn't have, um, compartment syndrome. They just, they think I, you know, just had like severe muscle strains, basically my calf and my hamstring, they said were like very close to, to tearing. Um, so got back from the hospital and then that night she wakes me up at like two in the morning, you know, telling me she feels woozy and dizzy and she's going to puke and passes out. Like, oh you know, my gosh. I, I thought she was like convulsing, like she was having a seizure, seizure, you know? So I'm fucking freaking out. I can barely walk. I haven't slept in three days. Oh. And like, so she ends up going to the hospital and I'm staying there with her. Dude, it's just a shit <laughs> show, bro. So, so she's like, Hey, maybe we'll just not run another race for a little while, you know? Cause I got back and I was like, all right, what's next? And you know, I was like Miami 125 in September. Like, let's fucking do it. You know? And she's like, let's pump the brakes and uh, just live life a little bit. You don't always have to go chase the dragon, you know? And I was like, yeah. oh, that's, that's fair. I'll, I'll... There's, there's truth to that. There's yeah. truth to that. Yeah. Um, so tell me, uh, you mentioned some plant medicine retreats. Was that, was that since you and I spoke last? Um, I can't, I might've, I've, I've done two. Um, the first one I did was in... I think March of 2021. So it probably was after, Later. yeah, okay. after we spoke. And then I did another one in, um, not, 
yeah, like August of 2022. Did um, you do the Amazon? Uh, the first one I went to Mexico and then the second one, yeah, I went to Peru. Awesome. Ayahuasca, I'm assuming. Yeah. Very Ayahuasca, positive experience for you. Um, yes. The first one was very good, uh, very positive experience. I, I went through with a program called Heroic Hearts Project. So it's like a veteran nonprofit that sends veterans down there. Um, so that was super cool. Just like being with a group of people that you kind of trust and feel comfortable with. I think that yeah. just going down with like general populace. Um, yeah. And then the second time in Peru was, you know, positive, but a lot harder than the first time. Like the uh, integration portion of it over the past year of like what came out of that experience has been very, very difficult. Um, yeah. But good things, you know, like I, you have to go through hard shit, right. To, to kind of get to a better place and to heal. I think, especially when it comes to trauma, like none of that shit is easy, but, um, yeah, it was just something that kind of like, I wasn't expecting. Um, so yeah, it's been a fucking journey. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, I mean, psychedelics have been something I've a huge proponent of, you know, haven't used as much as I would even want to, but have used it enough. Ayahuasca is something I haven't done. Um, a, a buddy of mine has been down a few times. Um, I don't actually a guy from Florida, Chris Nunez. He's a tattoo artist. Um, he was on Ink Master. He was, was going to say the name sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, he's he is a friend of a, of a friend. And so my buddy, Josh, he's actually been on the podcast. We talked about this. He's a uh, documentarian and he does audio and sound. He's worked for like vice networks in the past. And he has worked with Chris to go to Peru. I believe it's Peru to the Punjaniwa tribe, I believe is the name of the tribe. And um, they've done a documentary around that tribe and the deforestation around them because of a lot of initially they had gotten engaged with them through I'm pretty sure it was all specific to plant medicine and it's turned into a much bigger you know um, kind of purpose for them and kind of what they're trying to do for them uh, but Josh has been like hey man you just let me know and it's it's hard to tell your your wife I mean this will be our third child in the last four and a half years so really since I've gotten into all this stuff it's not really been possible <laughs> for me to peel off to the jungle for a week right but you know, I think there's a seriousness to it too, because I mean, everybody has a story. Um, but I know, I mean, even as much as my focus has gotten clearer, which has helped me re remove a lot of anxiety, I didn't have it horrible, but my childhood was certainly not one that I would want my kids to have. Um, I had people that loved me, but I just was a tumultuous, a lot of fighting, a lot of divorce and bad shit. Right. And, mm -hmm. um, there is a part of me that wonders, do I, am, am I ready yet for the consequences, albeit the end, I do believe would always be positive, but to your point, you got to go through tough stuff and, uh, there's, you know, there's only so much capacity to deal with tough stuff at certain times. And so it's like picking the spot to do it because I've, I've talked to a lot of people who have had some really powerful experiences that have unearthed a lot of shit, right? Yeah. And a lot of times even that you don't even know exists. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I can, yeah, I can testament to that 100%. I think there's been 
again, I think mostly positive, like the movement around psychedelics, you know, for mental health and veterans and PTSD. And I'm hundred percent support that. But I think with all that mainstream variety that's come with it, a lot of people have kind of like made it this like cool thing to do. Like, let's go to the jungle and do ayahuasca and it's going to be fucking, you know, rainbows and unicorns. And for some people that is what it is, I'm sure. But I think a lot of people going down there don't have the respect for the the medicine and the the Shipibo people or whoever, you know, is kind of down there Mm -hmm. facilitating and they don't understand like this shit is no fucking joke, dude. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's, you don't know what is going to happen in those ceremonies a lot of the time. And you're also with other people that you don't know their story and what's going to come up for them. And you're, you're there taking that energy on as well too. In the, in these, a good point. Yeah. If you're there with somebody who's really working through something negative or has some demons inside. I mean, that, that, that's, you know, that was, I think what played such a big factor in that the second, the Peru trip for me, it was, uh, you know, I'm I'm not going to, I don't want to name drop this guy, but we had, we had a guy with us that went through a fucking really gnarly experience one night and it kind of shook everyone that was there, I think. Yeah. Um, and I'd never seen anything like that. You know, I, I, when I describe it to people, I was like, you know, you, you watch those horror movies of like someone going through like an exorcism, right. It's like, I fucking saw that like for real, you know, yeah. uh, for hours while you're on ayahuasca it's a you know it's a fucking pretty gnarly experience um that i'll never forget for sure um and you know it's like looking back on that i can kind of say this with all of the psychedelic experiences i've had like i i believe that the people that were there going through that event together were put there for a reason and like we all witnessed what he went through for some reason you know that is probably part of different for everybody too exactly different for everyone but like there's a group aspect of it but there's also the individuals of the group you know and it's like i know i can look back and a lot of the lessons i got from that trip around surrendering and letting go and, and and stuff like came down to that night right whereas like fuck i'm in this really heavy situation but i also have my own individual experience that i'm trying to go through but this is a distraction from that which is a metaphor for life exactly and it's like how do you how do you kind of let go of all that and just like you said dial in that focus right on what you're trying to accomplish and what you're trying to do um so it's like you know and this is shit over a year now since i've been back and it's like i'm still kind of working through a lot of these lessons of what happened during that trip and what came up with some of my you know experiences and stuff so it's a it's a never-ending you know story yeah i again the fascination for me is i i've talked i know a lot of people who have had extremely impactful results right i'll I'll say results and i as somebody who has done a lot of psychedelics and other forms that are less powerful and introspective i've had situations even years later where i'll think back onto like a heavy mushroom trip and be like something all of a sudden right now in the here and now makes a different level of sense to me and it like for whatever reason my brain instantaneously goes to that moment where I was, you know, uh, an eighth of mushrooms in the bag, like no pun intended, but like all of a sudden something that never made sense to me 
and my 37th year on this life makes sense because of something that I did then. And call it a flashback, right? I, I, maybe that's what people consider a flashback. And I've been fortunate enough where it's been more like introspection for me, where I've been able to gain something even five years down the road. I'm like, oh, wow, like, duh, that's what that means. But when you think about supercharging that to like the nth degree with ayahuasca and in an environment and, you know, if you're doing it the right way, going with the right intentions. And I think the problem to your point is there are a lot of people that are going for the um, maybe uh, cultural coolness that they think there is. And I would tell you that I was at that point in time in my life, you know, I remember you know, going to Coachella and wearing a stupid outfit, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think that I would have liked what would have come if I would have tried to be cool and do it then, right? Like, I don't think that I would have been very ready to deal with the consequences and what the ultimate effects of my life may have been as a result of that, right? So mm -hmm. I hope I hope it's something that continues because especially hearing that you were able to do that through a, a veterans group, I think... I'm not a veteran and again, not somebody that's in ayahuasca, but I would think that from the stories I've heard, there is a tremendous amount of benefit for people who don't find it elsewhere. And I want to make sure that those things maintain themselves, but yeah, go listen to the Josh, uh, Josh Wright podcast that I did because he talks about how they went down there and the shaman kind of had a sit, like the shaman lost his shit and left. And these guys were all there then in this village. He's like, we're there with people that don't speak any English. Our shaman, who was like this American guy that came down there with us, had an ego moment and left us there. And he was like, <laughs> we're like stranded in the jungle. Yeah. So like, yeah. I, I think about that story all the time, too. And I'm like, man, oh, man, uh, what would that funny. have been like? But yeah, well, yeah, one thing one thing that you said that I want to touch on real quick, that I, I think it's interesting to me hearing you say it, too, is like kind of how where you've had these flashbacks, right, of where maybe previous trips or whatever and kind of in the future things come out that's been a huge reoccurring theme for me uh with these things is too is like i've had experiences that happen my first retreat in mexico where it was just like thought i knew what you know what the download was or whatever the lesson was but it was still kind of like oh that's an interesting way of putting it you know it's like I wouldn't have said it to myself that way, but okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. like, if that's what you're telling me. Okay. I get it. And then the second time where it's like, it's kind of been, and that was even cross like plants, right? So mushroom, like times where I've had experiences on mushrooms that didn't really make sense. And when I've done ayahuasca, it's kind of brought me back to that. And like, I've gained connected it all together for you and connected it all together. And then, this last time, even what had really started the integration process was through cannabis. So like having even that plant kind of help me in a different way, something that I wasn't understanding through mushrooms or ayahuasca, but then brought me back. And I was like, oh, well, it's like, dude, it's like some heavy shit. You know, you're like, what is well, going Especially on? when you start <laughs> to realize that plants are alive, just like we are. Right. Yeah. And we just have we think about things, it's like with aliens. I heard somebody talking about aliens, which might be the perfect segue into what I wanted to finish up with you. I didn't want to didn't want to ruin this. Um, and it actually works perfect because I had forgot that you live in South Florida. But, um, you know, we think of aliens as like these humanoid things because that's what our brain can think. It's like all we know is like even animals, a bear, a deer, a squirrel, right? They're still 
like a life form with arms and legs, a head, eyes. It's humanish in a, in a way, right? It's all we know. And so we take aliens and we kind of put it into the same thought. And I was listening to Duncan Trussell talk about um, like there's this thought that maybe aliens are just AI and that the reason that we're seeing all these alien spacecraft and things happening is because we just actually created AI and maybe we have like sentient AI. And when that AI became sentient here in our earth, because humans made it, it instantaneously created some sort of signal to the other AI in the, in the galaxies or universes that are now like, okay, it's born. Right. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's what he, it's dude. Bacteria does things for us. Like people add yeast to make bread. Maybe humans are just an ingredient to something so much more grand. Wouldn't that make sense? We don't understand the universe. And so it's like, I don't know. I, I started thinking it. And then it's like, all of a sudden people start sending me this video of a mall in Miami and fucking like three or 400 cop cars supposedly. And I don't know if this is, I don't know if this is true or not, but I heard that they shut down air traffic control for three or four hours that there's been zero. And I haven't seen a single video from inside of the mall where supposedly they sent all these cops because there was some teenagers fighting with sticks and fireworks. And then people saying, no, dude, there was like eight to 10 foot aliens running around. And <laughs> like, you're down there. Is, is that like a buzz going on? Or is that just something that's caught fire on TikTok? Dude, it's, it's so funny. You said that. I was literally at breakfast with my dad this morning, who's, you know, 60 years old. All he knows is he gets his news from Facebook and Fox News, right? So we're sitting there having breakfast. He's like, Cause I'm, I'm, I love the alien shit. I'm like all in it, dude. And uh, he started telling me the same story. He's like, it was down in Miami for new year's. I think it was like new year's day or something like that. When all, when all this happened. And uh, I know I, that was the first I heard about it was this morning. Really? So I have not heard. I, yeah, I haven't looked into it at all, but now I'm definitely going to look into it now that you brought it up. Cause I was like, he told me and I was like, ah, oh, that's probably some Facebook Russian troll farm <laughs> trying to fuck with you yeah. or something, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I, I know something did go down where I heard it was like, yeah, some kids fight, you know, 400 kids or something, apparently some crazy meetup. And okay. there, there was some maybe the, and that, that could justify it. Right. Because the videos yeah. that I saw is people from like a high rise videotaping. Yeah. And it's I mean, there's hundreds of cop cars, hundreds yeah. Yeah, like, that, that, that is insane. He told me the same thing. He's like, there's no, he's like, it's the only weird thing is there's no videos. He's like, there's only videos from these high rise apartments. And it's like super granular. And, and I'm like, well, there's a fucking a thousand kids down there. They all have phones. Like there's gotta be something yeah. out there. That was the know? first thing that I thought I kept, <laughs> I'm like searching and searching. And I'm like, I can't find a, a video from anybody. Like you would think if you were in the mall and 400 kids started fighting, you'd start videotaping that right. too. And that would yeah. be all over the news and social media would have ran with a, a fight at a mall yeah. and I yeah. haven't seen it. It's so interesting because that is very similar to the story that happened a couple months ago. I think it was in Vegas where yes. it was like, it was a, the Hispanic family that something had landed in their backyard and the cop showed up and the cops saw something yep. kind of land or crash or whatever. And, you know, and they said the same thing. They were like eight to 10 foot, like huge, you know? And yep. uh, dude, it's fucking interesting, man. You're familiar with the Virginia Brazil story, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, I tell people that and they're like, 
I've I've literally I'm like, okay, we can't be friends. They're they're like, just stop, quit with your crazy shit. And I'm like, dude, I'm telling you, I'm not saying that it's true. It's the same with you know what I was telling you about that book, um, about Baron Trump. It's not that I'm saying that it's true. It's that I'm saying there's facts that right. are true. Yeah, here's the things that, that I can't we know ex- for sure. I can't happen. explain it. Yeah, yeah I'm look. I mean, I'm looking at it right now. Ingersoll Lockwood is the name of this guy, the author of that book. The last president was the second one, and the first one is Baron Trump's Marvelous Underground Journey by Ingersoll <laughs> Lockwood. 248 pages, 1889 was the time frame when it was published in 1896. Yeah, so crazy. I don't know, man. I think <laughs> 2024 is going to be a wild ass year. Uh, like 100% going to be wild. I'm kind of scared because like I look back at the last couple of years for myself at least, and I'm like fuck like i mean a lot of great stuff happened but it was a lot of dark misery and you know struggle as well too and i'm like i in my life i can always kind of look back at like all those really hard times you know i felt like we're preparing me for whatever the next challenge was that's coming i'm like fuck Uh man something big might be coming (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) if it does hopefully it comes after the next time i get down to south florida if i do i 100 will hit you up we need to get together get a get a roll in for sure you know i'd I'd love to do that i and i have reasons i have some friends that are down there we doing some business um and uh, yeah, if as long as the world stays functional, I'm sure I'll find my way down your neck of the woods for sure. And you're you're up in Pittsburgh now, or I am. Area? Yeah, I'm just okay. just north of the city. So okay, I'm up, uh, yeah, I might see you before you see me. Then I'm really? actually yeah. So we have a uh, we just got a little a van. You know, we're doing like the we both work remote. So but we have a uh, a converted uh, E350 Kano line that we started doing some trips in. And we're actually February going to start just heading up the East Coast. And I have a buddy that's in um, some part of uh, probably close to you, I would assume, Pennsylvania, that we're going to kind of make some stops along the way, but end up um, up there. And then if you're in that area, we'll definitely have to link up too. Without a doubt. You're more than welcome. Bring your gear, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We've got four locations in the city and then in the surrounding areas and a lot of, a lot of cool shit to do. That would be really awesome. Let me know for sure. I'll more than happy to, to link up. He's in a Latrobe. Yeah, that's, um, so my brother lives, uh, it's on the Eastern side of the city. Okay. So my brother lives in Monroeville, which is really close to Latrobe, over nice. there all the time. Yeah, so I'll be be up there sometime mid February. So I'll definitely hit you okay. up. Okay. Yeah, please do. I, I look forward to it, man. Safe travels on your way up there, and uh, really appreciate you hopping on here and you know talking some crazy shit with me. Yeah. No. Thanks for having me. I love doing this stuff. Happy to do it whenever. Likewise, buddy. All hey, right, brother. Happy New Year. Yeah. You as well. Take care. See you. See you.